0: Slash conference. I hope to see you there. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I am so excited that you're joining me today. I've got a hot topic for you. Diversity, equity, and inclusion, or DEI, has become so, so important for many organizations. We've done a couple episodes on this topic, and I wanted to bring it back to you. I'm also featuring Uh, starting a series here where I'm going to feature some of the talks, some of the presentations or interviews that we did on the talent development virtual summit just a few weeks ago. So the first ever talent development virtual summit, we just hosted a little while back. We had 32 expert speakers plus a few live Q and a sessions with some of the speakers. It was a big hit. We had uh, almost 2000 people register a lot of people participating, uh, some really great discussions. And these, uh, Sessions with the speakers that we did were absolute fire. So much gold on these sessions uh, that I wanted to share some of them with you on the podcast. Of course, you can also join our membership community, the Talent Development Think Tank, where we're having calls on a regular basis and you get access to. All the recordings from all 40 plus sessions from the Talent Development Virtual Summit are included when you join the Talent Development Think Tank community. Now my guest for you today is Kay Fabella and Kay is an expert on diversity, equity and inclusion. Uh, She is a DEI and remote team expert. Uh, and founder of Kay Fabella Consulting. Kay has worked with organizations around the globe and recently published a white paper on the future of work and DEI in tech that has been uh, really hot in the industry. A lot of people have been talking about it and we do break that down in this interview that I did with her. She's also the founder and the host of the Popular Inclusion and Progress podcast. um, And she has been a guest on this podcast in the past. We did a LinkedIn Live together back when COVID first hit uh, in March, April timeframe and uh, I'm excited to have her back on here. Now, one of the other reasons I'm excited is because Kay is also a good friend of mine. She has spoken in the Talent Development Think Tank community that I run. Uh, So in the Talent Development Think Tank community, we have uh, a group of talent development professionals who come together on a regular basis to share best practices, support each other, ask questions, share, grow, learn. Uh, It's an awesome, awesome place. If you're in talent development, you should really consider coming and joining us. We also have expert speakers come uh, on a regular basis as well. And Kay was one of our first uh, guest expert speakers back in, I want to say June when DEI was really heating up after the death of George Floyd. And uh, people got a lot of value out of her session. So I've invited her to come back. And uh, as I publish this on Tuesday, October 13th, Kay will be our guest speaker in the Think Tank community on our community call on Wednesday, October 14th. So if you are hearing this before Wednesday the 14th and you want to – you listen to this and you get excited about everything Kay is talking about and you want to ask her some questions, come join us in the Talent Development Think Tank community. Uh, Reach out to me or go to tdtt.us. That's tdtt.us. Uh, And you will get all the information there about the Think Tank community. You can sign up and you can join our community call with Kay, Q&A with her uh, coming up on the 14th. You can also get access to the recordings from all of the other 40 plus sessions on the Talent Development Virtual Summit uh, by again going to tdtt.us and joining us in the membership community. Now, without further ado, I want to take you to my interview with Kay Favela, where we cover a lot of ground about DEI, including how DEI has changed under COVID, um, what everyone in talent development should really be thinking about when it comes to DEI right now, the importance of psychological safety. We talk about unconscious bias and feedback loops, uh, we talk about the importance of allyship and ongoing training um, and how this impacts talent development. Uh, we really talk a, cover a lot of ground in about 30 minutes. And I hope you enjoy this session. Um, if you do, uh, reach out to me, let me know. Connect with Kay and follow her on LinkedIn. She posts there regularly, as I do as well. And uh, if you want to get more and connect and talk live with experts like Kay, come join us in the Talent Development Think Tank community, TDTT.US. Without further ado, here is my interview with Kate Fabella from the Talent Development Virtual Summit. In 2020, the only topic that might be hotter than how to work virtually is how to improve diversity, equity, and inclusion in our organizations. After the death of George Floyd on May 25th, 2020, DEI rose to the top of the list for many companies and everyone has been trying to find ways to improve DEI for their remote workforce. Well, look no further because this session is all about why every company needs DEI in the remote world. Hi, I'm Andy Storch, your summit host, and I'm excited to introduce you to our next legendary speaker. Kay Fabella is a DEI and remote team expert and the founder of Kay Fabella Consulting. Kay has worked with organizations around the globe and recently published a white paper on the future of work and DEI in tech that has been a mainstay in our industry. Kay is also the founder and host of the popular Inclusion and Progress podcast and has been a guest on the Talent Development Hot Seat podcast, which has been really popular as well. Kay, thank you so much for being here with us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be a part of
0: it. I'm so excited to have you here. Um, I'm always excited to talk to you because it seems like you really have your finger on the pulse of what's going on in the world of DEI. Um, You're talking to different companies, different experts, different people all the time. And DEI has always been important, but why is it more important now than ever?
1: Absolutely, I think it's so fitting, right, that the year is 2020 and we talk about 2020 vision. And I think that in, as much upheaval as there is, there is also very much, you know, the clarity, the piercing clarity now that companies and people and societies and countries and cultures are seeing systems that just weren't working before, systems that were inequitable and favored the few instead of the many. And I think that because we're also working from home, those who us those of us who have the privilege to, we're also very much in this space of we see events like George Floyd, or at the time of this reporting, Jacob Blake, or we hear about Breonna Taylor, we hear about all of these specific events in ways that we just could, we can't turn away the way that we used to, or the way that we may have, it may have been more convenient. So I would say that it's been a real you know, I'm, I'm going to be absolutely honest with you, a real whiplash moment because right at the start of COVID, a lot of my colleagues and fellow practitioners saw their budgets either reduced or saw that they were furloughed or laid off or told kind of thanks, but no thanks. You know, DEI is for a later quarter or it's not really an issue right now. And lo and behold, June rolls around and or May, May and June really <laughs> rolls around. You're seeing the anti-racism protests. You're seeing just employees demanding answers uh, in terms of how are you making sure that everyone feels like they belong? How are you making sure that everybody, like, what is our stand on this as a company in a way that I don't think I've ever seen so massively. And, and I don't think that's changed. I would say that the there's been a lull naturally, because everybody went very, very kind of what do I do? Let's hire all those people back. Like what are the solutions we have to put into place, but it's not going away. And I think that if anything, that clarity and that, you know, that 2020 vision that we now have on what are the cultures that we have now? What do we want to be? Who do we want to be as companies as, and as people within these companies, I think is, it's just going to make DEI continue to be at the forefront, if not, you know, embedded into company cultures moving forward.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting how how you mentioned when COVID started, um, funding was getting cut in a lot of you know areas that seemed non-essential, right? And learning and development often gets hit by that. DEI often gets hit by that. Uh, and so probably back in March, April, we we saw that dip a little bit, and then after May, it's shooting back up and has been going up in importance ever since then. Almost like very similar to the U.S. stock market, which dipped heavily in in April and has been going up since then. Um, What are you hearing from DEI leaders inside organizations now? What are the demands that they're getting or requests they're getting from their executives, from their leaders, um, and how are organizations responding?
1: Yeah, so I think that right now, it's the question that's on all of our minds is how do we turn this moment into a movement? and continue to keep up the momentum, more importantly. So it's very, I think, especially with so much pressure on companies scrambling to approach DEI or their response to the Black Lives Matter movement and the anti-racism movement from a place of almost like a PR crisis, like what do we do, what do we say, how do we you know, you know, get the right things in place? Now the, the test really is, now that you're hiring all these chief diversity officers and teams, is how do we make sure that this is a sustainable strategy moving forward? How do we make sure that, you know, CDOs and and anyone who works in DEI can tell you that historically our budgets haven't been very high, or like you said, we're considered, quote unquote, non-essential, similar similar to L&D. So it's very much around how do we make sure that history doesn't repeat itself? How do we keep the momentum going? How do we actually make the conversations not just inclusive, for the folks who would most benefit from a more inclusive world, but also from those who we really rely on as allies to help you know, lead those conversations in the room because inclusion really means everyone in an intersectional way. And so I think it's really important for um, you know, the, what I'm hearing and what I'm sensing and from the clients that I'm working with, the colleagues that I have is, you know, how do we keep this going? And how do we let companies know that this is for the long haul and here's the strategy for us to keep building on it moving forward.
0: And that reminds me, you know, looking back at uh, your white paper you put out on the future of work, especially in tech and what's going on in DEI. um, I think you talked about the difference between uh, reacting and crisis management versus future proofing your organization. I wonder if you could touch on, you know, what is the difference there and what are a couple of the, the key points that came out of that white paper that's been so popular in the DEI space?
1: yeah absolutely i mean it was really you know we weren't expecting anything when we put together the round table we really were just like we're talking to so many tech companies we're hearing all these amazing conversations as we know at the start of covid and continuing through i would imagine into 2021 and beyond tech companies have continued to grow and and hire and really have been dealing with the challenges of virtual work and workforces in a much more global way. So the idea was to sit down with different different big tech firms. In this case, it was Google, Amazon, Tesla, GitHub, and DoorDash, and really understand what are you doing to continue to support your people in a remote setting? What are the challenges that are coming up? What are the solutions you're putting into place? And across the board, the big thing that came up was the, the E within the DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion equation, was the most important. They, we know that in crises, the most historically excluded or marginalized amongst us, we see those inequities exacerbated and not ameliorated. And so it's really about how do we make sure that those folks, um, or rather, they were making sure within their teams, like, how do we make sure that those folks who would otherwise be left behind, who have uh, family who is overrepresented as essential workers on the front lines, um, who are dealing with being single parents, who are managing homeschooling and more of the caregiving duties in, in, in their households, um, how do we make sure that they continue to feel supported and know that they have a place in the company. And so what we found was the other big thing, aside from equity, making sure that those people who would be left behind know that they're supported and are, I would say disproportionately supported in comparison to maybe folks who would have say, access to broadband internet or healthcare, et cetera, you know, things that other groups would not necessarily have to worry about so much. It's really about making sure that that psychological safety piece, this idea of, you know, How do we make sure that folks who already struggle with things like covering at work. So feeling like they have to hide parts of who they are in a normal work environment setting. (laughs) What is normal anymore. Um, (laughs) um, In a pre COVID we'll say uh, work environment setting that they make that we make sure that they continue to feel safe in an environment where it's just as likely that they're trying to hide parts of who they are or their families or their house situations or their socioeconomic status because they don't want to be judged by their colleagues. Um, how do we let them know, how do we empower managers, more importantly, who are really the... The people who are most responsible for making sure that their teams feel included, with the skills that they need to handle difficult conversations. Because I mean, I don't know about you, Andy, but I've been trying to find the pandemic playbook, and I know a big part of <laughs> I know a big part of having or trying to you know make up for the fact that none of us have that is really relying on making sure our mental health is okay. And so you know, managers are already overtasked and overworked. So how do you make sure that they know? that they have the skills or the access to the trainings that they need to be able to make sure that their teams feel that they can talk to them that if they're stressed or they're dealing with a crisis at home or whatever happens to be that they can manage those conversations and make sure that their teams are still productive and engaged at work Um, and yeah i think that those those are the two biggest takeaways and really the fact that what i thought was super interesting was how everybody talked about inclusion from an intersectional way I think the kind of beef that people used to have with DEI before was it felt like every conversation within DEI was almost splintered off or siloed. So there was like the gender conversation and, you know, the people of color conversation. uh, And within that, obviously, all the different ethnic groups, the LGBTQ plus conversation. And what I thought was super interesting was because they were now we're all now living in this virtual world all of the previous programming issues that they had about, oh, we have to make sure you know, enough people know about it so they can physically get into the room for the pizza party, for the keynote speaker, or whatever it happens to be. Now, in a weird way, the beauty of being online is that you can actually reach more people than ever before. You can look at challenges that face different groups that maybe necess- you wouldn't necessarily have done in a way that didn't kind of honor the DEI like cultural programming of like, you know, Black History Month and then Pride Month and whatever. And I actually saw, especially within ERGs, uh, that they were really relying on those employee resource groups to step up in and lead and kind of be the lifeblood for creating the sense of community within the company. That really was an extension of the culture, I think in a much more, you know, potent way than at the start of COVID. And so seeing the fact that they were moving away from You know, we're just going to talk about, you know, Black History Month and the importance of, you know, anti-Blackness. Um, just during February, no, how do we make sure that's embedded into our events moving forward? How do we make sure that our virtual events are truly inclusive and that we're getting stakeholders that may have been you know harder for us to get into the room into the room? How do we get you know more men as allies to come into the the women's conversations right? So I thought that was really encouraging and you know overall the the biggest thing that we got from the white paper was, you know, make sure within DEI, the fundamentals of everything we do and within talent in general is how do you support the people who support your people in the best way possible? And, and yeah, I thought that was, I thought it was brilliant. And I don't think that's, you know, that's changing or going away from what I've seen.
0: It is really beautiful. And I love the intersectionality. And like you said, a lot of that people, groups coming together was kind of forced um, after the death of George Floyd, when we had the Black Lives Matter movement, right, moving right into Pride Month, right, and, and groups coming together and having more of these conversations about how can we support each other, and not fight for, oh, this is our month, or this is our time, you know, everybody coming forward for Black Lives Matter, and then all groups kind of coming together and saying, okay, this is this is about Equity and inclusiveness for everyone. Now, um, I want to get into some best practices and some of the things that you shared with me uh, in the past. Before we go there, though, what are some of the biggest mistakes or challenges um, that you're seeing uh, organizations make right now, especially uh, now that everybody's working remotely?
1: Right. So I think that a big part of, and I think this is normal, right? Our our brains because we reach for what is normal we are we naturally revert back to what we call bau business as usual right of this idea of oh these are what productivity standards look like these are what performance reviews looked like these are what this is what we expect from teams Um, and i think that you know i wouldn't say this was across the board but at least initially when everything started with covid and we were all forced to work from home on a massive scale managers and leaders were really struggling to, you know, f- know how to approach the conversations in a way that was, you know, that made people feel like, okay, like I, I hear you. I want you to know that I'm supporting you and I'm in your corner, but I also have this expectation to meet from, you know, the business under the bottom line perspective and kind of reconciling those two things. Um, and so I think just knowing that there's like an ongoing, um, like support strategy in place, um, and moving away from this idea that you can teach a manager to be a remote manager in a one-off setting, or you can teach people how to, you know, create psychological safety in the online space in, you know, to a two-hour lunch and learn. Um, I think really moving away from this idea that we're just going to have one intervention it's going to fix everything, especially now that we know that DEI isn't just, you know, a one-off initiative. It's actually something that companies are demanding, that clients are demanding, that future employees and even current employees are demanding. So it's really thinking about how do we look at the long term sustainability of the movement and not focus on kind of one off interventions and strategies that really at their core feel very performative and I think uh, don't really engender that level of trust that the employees really want to have with their companies, that companies really want their employees to have in them right now. Um, I would say that in terms of other mistakes that I've seen, really just, you know, really creating space for non-work conversations. I think that's maybe this is also because I've been based in Europe. As you know, Andy, I've been, I'm from the U.S. I've been based here for 10 years. But this idea of vacation, of like taking time off or unplugging, um, maybe this is corporate America. Uh, Maybe it's, you know, just corporate you know, culture in general, but this idea of like, you always have to be on was already prevalent prior to COVID. And now it's very much like, well, I can't be more on, you know, as a woman, for example, or if you're a woman who also has to have, happens to have kids and you're navigating the homeschooling, blended learning situation while being expected to deliver work at a certain time. I mean, there's just so many different challenges that we just aren't seeing. So really talking about mental health in a way that is not, you know, oh, you know, I've, I've given you time off, but you know, you only have that hour and then you have to come back and I expect said, you know, deliverable to be ready as as you promised, or, you know, actually getting people to to talk about mental health in a way that's more open. Like, I think the teams and the leaders that I've seen and the clients that I've worked with and the companies I've observed that really lean into vulnerability and say, listen, I don't have it together right now. I'm doing the best that I can. And I know you are too, but I want to let you know that just so that I give you the permission if you feel like you need to ask for time off or you need a beat or, you need somebody else to pick up the slack. I mean, we've seen it, you know, across the board from the racial trauma that our Black community is living over and over and over again as, since the start of COVID. Because apparently, racism doesn't take a break for a pandemic either. Um, so it's, you know, giving giving our colleagues time off or just understanding and knowing how to approach conversations in a way that is, you know, from let empathy led and really people led when we when we interact with one another. So. I think very much around how do we talk about mental health um, in a way that, you know, our leaders model? How do we talk about, you know, how do we actually support our people with tools that guarantee and or at the very least get close to guaranteeing psychological safety and providing that sense of inclusion and belonging for employees? And how do we start thinking about inclusion rather than this one-off like, oh, I'll tick the box exercise? Uh, but thinking ahead to what's the strategy for us moving forward? It's a one. It's not a one-off. So, it, what's our three-year strategy? What's our five-year strategy? What are the systems we're going to put in place? How are we going to create incentives to change behaviors? Um, you know, what are we? What do we need to do to communicate when we've made those changes? What are the types of you know strategies we're going to implement, and how do we know when they're working, and when do we know that we need to ask for help? You know, it's really just moving from kind of moment, like I said before, it's a movement and making that sustainable and baking that into the culture moving forward. So those are the things that I've seen in terms of mistakes. And I definitely think they can be avoided.
0: Yeah, and we, we can all improve. Um, speaking of uh, mistakes and also of tick in the box, like you mentioned, uh, I know you get a lot of requests for unconscious bias training. And uh, you know we always joke about this because sometimes you're like, why are they still want this unconscious bias? What is your frustration with that?
1: So my frustration with it is I normally, I am, I will say I'm in a relatively privileged position as in now when somebody says they want an unconscious bias training, I don't have to say yes. (laughs) But I mainly because when, and again, this is no one's fault. I think it's because we've been talking about diversity and equity and inclusion so long from this sort of you know performative like make sure that we have the company photo with like the right representation in the photo or here are our numbers in terms of you know the communities that we have here that kind of thing you know un- when we're looking for solutions the thing that our brains look for immediately especially for companies that may be at the start of their journey or haven't invested as much in the journey in dei is is what we know and so unconscious bias i think is kind of a remnant of I like, it's very 2000 and late. (laughs) Um, And I say that because it just feels like I use that as an indicator of where you are on the DEI journey as a company. Normally, if you're looking for unconscious bias trainings, one that that is an alarm bell for me, because why is that not already a bare minimum, like DEI 101 something that's in place in your organization? to normally those trainings, um, at at least in my experience, that company, because they're at the start of their journey, they don't have, they're still asking to be convinced of the business case. Um, They're looking for, you know, I I don't know how many more business case articles we can have from McKinsey or Harvard Business Review on how good DEI is for business, but you know, there it is. Um, And I think more importantly, a lot of people who approach a conscious bias, they see it as like, oh, well, okay, I've done the training, like, oh, that's what happened. My unconscious bias kicked in, and so I'll do better next time. But there's not really an incentive or a follow-up or a kind of building on that. And I think, you know, unconscious bias could be the one-on-one. And I think on its own it's is when it falls apart because it's not a learning and development strategy. It's not a long-term solution to, you know, yes, you're aware of your biases, now what? Um, and so that's kind of... You know, that's my little
0: rant on unconscious bias. Very Fair, right? And we need something that's longer lasting that's going to make a difference. It's not just, you know, being aware or worse, even just making people feel guilty or bad about their unconscious bias. We all have them. They're not going to go away. Um, It's what do we do from there? And I know you are big on something called feedback loops and responsibility of leaders to, to jump in and make a difference. I wonder if you could talk more about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, I will be, I will say this, if you are listening and you are asking for unconscious bias trainings, yes. And (laughs) really invest in, you know, building out your DEI initiative, which, you know, kind of dovetails perfectly into the answer to this question, which is, you know, think about when I work with clients, I'm very much about what is the DEI maturity model that we're building up into What are the different ways that we can embed DEI almost as a lens within your company and within the different departments, rather than, you know, kind of shoveling it off to overworked HR or people teams or talent development teams, et cetera. It's really about how do we, you know, how do we create, so I think the biggest thing with inclusion is we kind of focus a lot on the behavioral change, which is where I think unconscious bias comes from or things like that. But what we forget, and we've seen this now with the anti-racism movement, we've seen it with you know, systemic oppression in you know, the societies that we have, and then by extension within the companies that we work in, that the systems are the things that we really have to be fixing. Because as you rightfully said, Andy, like, we have biases we don't see. We have privileges that maybe we're not aware of. Um, you know, I do this work for a living, and I'm still always unpacking my different biases and privileges to keep doing the work better right? So imagine if I'm doing this, what the average person who we actually want to get on this journey to contribute to creating inclusion at work is dealing with on a day-to-day basis. So in that case, we can't just rely on behavioral change alone. And a lot of unfortunate behavioral change uh, seems to be related to shame and kind of shaming people into do better or calling them out to be better when the very same people that we actually need to be leading inclusion is actually everyone. And the folks that who are most capable of actually leading those conversations, we're polarizing or pushing away from it. And so if we approach it from a systems level, we approach it from this idea of the system is what we need to fix together. And here's how we're going to bolster and buttress that system to make sure that it supports every single person. And we can correct for that. So we can correct for when, say, we're looking at our, um, our learning and development solutions and making sure that is it accessible Do we have ways for people who have learning disabilities or who have struggles even with understanding, you know, audio, like maybe they have hearing issues or they um, aren't able to, you know, engage with the material in the same way and they need to actually process it afterwards uh, by looking over the script and listening to an audio or whatever happens to be, you know, are we looking at how we're actually developing our products and services and systems and making sure that the, the the focus groups that we're tapping into are representative of the of the actual society that we live in and not our sort of ideal client avatar, which normally tends to be very much an extension of who we are, um, just naturally because of our cognitive biases, right? You know, and so embedding it that way and looking at the systems and then kind of measuring that regularly, and then most importantly, making sure that each of those key stakeholders who is actually leading a specific initiative to make inclusion happen, make systemic inclusion happen, I think is a much more sustainable approach and it it's less on the individual to feel like oh what am i doing wrong? Do i have to tiptoe around making sure i'm saying the right thing or the wrong thing? No, it's not about that at all. It's about how do we make sure that to correct for those things where you could fall short because we're humans, we're fallible, we will fall short. How do we set up a structure in place that actually allows the folks who are you know struggling the most to feel accepted and included who aren't as likely to raise their hand in meetings who aren't as likely to be promoted because you know we're we're likely to look at the person who looks most like us to move forward How do we correct for that? And how do we incentivize that within the actual system of the company that we have and link that to key business outcomes? And I think if we do it that way, it's much more empowering for people. It's much easier for people to get behind. And I think it's when that's bolstered by a top-down vision from the CEO and all the C-suite stakeholders, it really is just so much more effective because then the culture changes is bolstered by, you know, we not only have a way to correct for those biases and make sure that people don't feel like they're excluded or that they are unsupported at work but we also have a way for when they elevate their concerns or when they have dealt with a microaggression or you know something that was a threat to their psychological safety in the work environment there's a feedback loop actually in place that they know is going to lead to a result because the system corrects for it. And so there is that accountability, there's that feeling of trust that further bolsters the feeling of belonging and inclusion that our different employees have. And most importantly, and this is where I think a lot of the conversations kind of tend to focus much more on underrepresented minorities, we're actually giving allies ways to systemically change things. We're giving them frameworks uh, and incentives to know exactly how to you know, if we're able to tie that in your performance review to how are you, you know, advocating for people on your teams that you wouldn't otherwise, because, you know, they're not like you or they don't, you know, they're not people that you would naturally be inclined towards speaking to, you know, I think that's so much more empowering for people than worrying about, oh, did I say the right thing? And so for me, it's very much around, how do we look at the systems to then correct for when those behaviors of individuals don't necessarily meet what we would like them to meet? And most importantly, how does it match with the top down vision from the CEO down and, and that it's actually sustainable and is looking forward into how do we continue to measure this against where we want to be in three years, five years and beyond.
0: So much great value in there and, and some things that I would love to, Dive deeper into, especially the topic of allyship and accountability, things like that. If we only had more time, um, but I want to get to one more important question, uh, which is our audience here is talent development, learning and development professionals who are often working with those DEI professionals. I imagine we have some DEI people uh, who are tuning in as well. Um, but for people in talent development, learning and development, how does this tie into L and D? Uh, how are you seeing the best organizations? you know, bringing these groups together and how can talent development uh, do a better job of improving DEI, making all this happen?
1: Absolutely. I think talent development, you are, you're, you're our best advocates. <laughs> We're the people that we need the most. I, I have found that especially the learning and development folks, like I've, I've had the privilege of interviewing a lot of people and speaking to a lot of people who work in L&D within companies. And because things like behavioral change or cultural change, as we know, are long-term things or long-term initiatives, they require an honoring of that learning journey. They require uh, an ongoing support and a way to uh, foster and continue to implement those changes in behaviors. So whether it's recognizing your privileges, uh, knowing how to spot microaggressions at work uh, for underrepresented minority groups who struggle with visibility, like how do you speak up at work? really implementing those solutions and providing that and baking that into what's available for, for teams. And most importantly, for organizations, I think you have such a critical role in actually designing those solutions. And not only that, but designing it in partnership with the very people that you want to make sure stay with, you know, around the expectations that they have around the needs that they have. Um, And then communicating a measurable objective forward to the company. I think there's just such like, for me, DEI and talent development and within that L and D specifically, there is there's so many intersections there and so much capacity for change and for good that to leave out DEI from from the process of creating the solutions and making sure your people know they're continuing to upskill and know they're continuing to be not just their, you know, their best selves, but hopefully bring their whole selves to work. I think you have such a unique opportunity there, and and I highly encourage you to work side by side and to keep doing the work, and and really, you know, um, really support people who are not just looking for a one-off. Who really do want to know how do I create change, how do I continue to contribute to that change, and, and how do I do this for the long haul.
0: Absolutely. And, and help them make that change, help set up these systems, these accountability, you know, the, the feedback loops, accountability, weave it into all of the training and development programs we do. How can you make them more diverse, more equitable, more inclusive? Look out for those underrepresented groups, people that are, you know, don't always get spoken up for to be included in these things. Um, So many ways that uh, talent development can get involved. And there's been so much information, value, inspiration in this conversation has been fantastic. If I look back at my notes, some of the things we covered, uh, why DEI is more important than ever in 2020, Uh, What happened to DEI as a result of COVID? How companies are responding to the social justice movement? How do we turn a a moment into a movement? uh, What tech companies are doing to future-proof their workforce and boost DEI? The importance of the E in DEI? How to improve equity for people in a virtual world? Having more intersectional conversations and removing those silos? How do you support the people who support your people? I love that. Um, The biggest mistakes and challenges that Kay sees in the marketplace. Um, the importance of creating non-work conversations and mental health, supporting mental health, the challenge with unconscious bias training, uh, using feedback loops and responsibility um, for leaders, uh, approaching DEI from a systems level to ensure it supports everyone and provides accountability and feedback loops. And finally, how can talent development get involved and support DEI? Uh, Kay, anything else you would add? And how can people get in touch with you and find out more about all the great work that you're doing?
1: I think you covered it. I know that's, I know that's kind of a fire hose approach to DEI today. So there's, there's your 101. It's a little bit better than unconscious bias training. Yes. (laughs) But no, honestly, I think that what I will say is that everybody who's listening, I mean, you and I all know that the number one question that people are going to be asking you know, even just thinking ahead to future talent, we were just talking about Gen Z before we hit record on the call, it's the most racially and ethnically diverse generation ever. So it's not even just preparing for our return to work plans when this pandemic storm ends, it's really about, you know, answer, being able to honestly and, and you know, in, with integrity answer the question for people who are asking, how did you support your people through COVID-19? How did you support your people through the anti-racism movement? And the people who are going to be asking those questions are your future employees. And so you all have a responsibility in actually laying that groundwork today for creating that culture because, you know, those kids ain't waiting. They're they're ready to roll. And we're already feeling the effects of that within the DEI space as well. So keep on doing what you're doing. Remember, it's a moment, not a movement. Remember, it's a movement, not a moment. And, uh, and yeah, I think we've... I think we've covered everything. And if people want to get in touch with me to learn about specific solutions that I design, I work with companies of all shapes and sizes, but mostly within the tech industry. And you can find me at kfabella.com. That's F as in Frank, A, B as in boy, E-L-L-A.com. Or you could listen to my podcast, Inclusion in Progress, which comes out every Wednesday for up-to-date industry insights on DEI.
0: Awesome. One of my favorite podcasts. And I know Kay is active on LinkedIn as well as am I. Uh, So thank you again, Kay, for coming on and sharing so much wisdom and value. And for all of you who tuned in, thank you so much for being here. I hope you got a lot of value out of this. I hope you took a lot of notes. Before you go, write down what are those one or two key takeaways, things that you want to do differently or start doing or take action on as a result of this session. The key to getting value for all of us here is taking that action to make it worth your time and worth our time. Uh, So write that down, tell a friend, get some accountability, uh, speak up at work support those people uh, who maybe not have been have not been supported as much in the past remember you are in talent if you're in talent development you have an absolute huge opportunity right now it's a pivotal time your role has never been more important you have a responsibility an opportunity an obligation to help the DEI organization to help everyone in your organization and you have the opportunity to become the hero in your organization's story and I want you to become that hero. So make sure you take action on this. And if you haven't already, make sure you also upgrade to VIP or All Access Pass. You can join Kay and others on the live interactive sessions as well as get lifetime access to all of our sessions as well. Uh, Again, my name is Andy Storch. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you in the next session.